Well, we found another unicorn to have on the podcast. Unicorn, what's Brian talking about? Well, last week we had Ernie Yarborough on, and that's a politician that it appears we can be proud of. I call that a unicorn. And uh, today we're having Congressman Barry Moore on another unicorn, a, a politician that it appears that, that we can actually be proud of. He's my congressman. He's a congressman of the 2nd District of Alabama, and he's doing a lot of good things. He's going to come on, and we're just going to machine gun, rapid fire, move through the topics, and then jump into uh, a behind-the-scenes for our paying members where we hit COVID in January 6th. You're not going to want to miss that. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. Got a, a really incredible episode for you today, uh, a great guest um, that I am really excited about. He's my congressman, uh, and I say that proudly. Uh, that doesn't happen very often when talking about politicians. So, uh, you know, pretty pretty excited to have someone I'm excited about on the podcast to talk about some stuff that he's doing in D.C., but as always, we want to talk about getting to know people. I want I want people to get to know who their their representatives are and and hear their stories. I think stories move people and connect people. Uh, and I'm sure uh, my guest, who is Congressman Barry Moore, uh, has a really good story about why he got into politics. And then we'll jump into some of the stuff he's working on. But before we jump into that, I got to ask you guys to join the fight. Uh, join the fight. Sign up to become an 1819 News member uh, financially support the work we're doing it's independent journalism it's nonprofit journalism it's journalism for the people you know in the state of Alabama the leftists have their outlet with uh, you know with with al.com the lobbyists have their outlets with Yellowhammer and these other groups but the people didn't have a media outlet so we wanted to create a media outlet for the people of Alabama because we didn't feel like there was one and so we're asking you guys to to help support that with a monthly gift and for doing that you'll get Really cool merch, as well as access to behind-the-scenes content, like we'll be doing uh, for the last segment with uh, Congressman Barry Moore today, but uh, and all kinds of other stuff. But um, please do that, uh, and also, uh, as you now know, you're not watching this on YouTube because you can't, because I got booted by the Gestapo uh, on YouTube. So make sure that any new platform that you're getting the podcast on that you've subscribed, click the bell, and make sure that you are getting notifications to get the podcast there. All right. Enough about all that. Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you, Brian, for having us. We're excited about it. Good. Well, and as I think about it, I was driving from Wetumpka, uh, where I live, up to Birmingham, where my studio is, and thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about. And <clears throat> quite frankly, I feel like you're uh, one that slipped by the goalie. I wonder how you got into Congress because you actually represent people, which, you know, apparently isn't a prerequisite anymore. I don't know. It seems like that there's not a lot of that going on. Um, and again, I'm not asking you to bash her. I'll do it for you. Uh, Martha Roby was your predecessor, and and I don't think she did a great job representing. So I'll what I'll say to be nice, that's not my strong suit being nice, but I know the people that live around me are uh, exponentially more excited about what you've done and been able to do and the fact that you actually represent them uh, well, uh, then maybe some of the people that have been there in the past. So, uh, I think that's really good. Um, you know, just watching, uh, things we had Steve Marshall in here uh, a couple times in the last month, and he's another guy who really has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the, the people in the state of Alabama and what they care about. I think you're another guy that, that definitely has your finger on the pulse of, of what the people here care about. So 
thank you for that. Um, and uh, we want to jump in and, and hear your story. Who is Barry Moore and what got you into politics? Yeah, so um, I'm a business owner. I, I actually was in the garbage business, and and uh, I tell everybody that transition from garbage to politics was fairly easy to make. You know, it's just it's in in the business you really sort through the bad stuff, right? You try to recycle what's good, and you try to make something out of that. And so, um, but there's a lot of smelly stuff too in that process. And so, um, being a business owner, I kind of always just was frustrated with government. You know, Ronald Reagan always said his the idea of the government, the idea, the government's idea on the economy is if it's moving, you tax it; if it keeps moving, you regulate it; when it fails, you subsidize it. And as a business owner, we were constantly battling the bureaucrats, the taxes, the regulations, the things that just kept guys from going out and starting businesses. And so, I would get so frustrated. And so. In 2006, the party asked me to run for the state legislature. I had some mutual friends that said, you you guys ought to get Barry Moore to run. And I told them no. I was like, my family's young, my business is young, and that was really what I wanted to focus on was the business. I had no desire whatsoever, Brian, to ever do this because it's just not something I, I enjoy a whole lot. Yeah. But um, in 2008, Barack Obama, he was the president of the United States, and I think they had played some footage where he said, we're no longer a Christian nation. And I told my wife, I said, if they ask me to run again, we, if we don't engage the process, we're going to lose our country. And so uh, 2010, I ran. I was in that first Republican majority that got yeah. elected for the first time, you know, in the Civil War. So since the Civil War, since Reconstruction anyway. And so so I was one of those House members that came in, got elected in 2010 and started making a difference. So so it got my kind of cut my teeth at the state level initially. There you go. Um, did, did you grow up in Alabama? I don't know if you touched on that. Is this? Yeah, I did. Grew up on a farm down at Batten's Crossroads, and and uh, it's just south of Enterprise. And and uh, you know, it was uh, we quit farming in 1980. The drought and army arms kind of forced us out, and so I went off to college at Auburn, came back, and eventually started my own company. And and like I said, once they recruited us to run, and we, we got in the state legislature, um, it was kind of a new thing because we had a bunch of the Republican majority in the House, the Senate had a Republican governor, and so. We went to trying to clean the mess up. And that's kind of what I think in a lot of ways put a bullseye on my back. Yeah. They drug me through. You know, a lot of the conservatives, the two top conservatives in the state at the time got indicted. But through that process, uh, we, we always told everybody we were going to win the race and we were going to win the case. And so we had to engage and we had to go to trial. And we, we could have cut a deal, but I just felt compelled to fight. My son, actually, my 12-year-old son, he said, Dad, he said, we, I had got off the phone with my lawyers, Brian, and they're like, man, they're going to throw a book at you, every deal you've ever done, every business deal you've ever done, every bill you've ever voted on. And they were kind of wanting me to do a proffer deal, to cut a deal. And I, I got off the phone with my attorneys, and I walked over. My 12-year-old son was in the carport, and I said, buddy, I said, they're going to destroy us financially, politically, and personally if we stay in politics. And he said, Dad, he said, I've been studying the book of Daniel. He said, when all those men bowed, there were men who stood. He said, I think you need to stand. And so we made a decision, not off my team of attorneys, but off my 12-year-old son and his faith in the process of what Daniel went through to stand and fight. And so we went through that process, got it all clear, and uh, and served another four years. So I spent eight years in the state legislature and term limited myself and thought I was going to get to go home and run my business. <laughs> yeah, and then there's other plans. Well, hey, uh, man, he, he has different plans for our lives. You know, yeah. the Lord has plans for you, man. And, and uh, you know, I tell everybody, Psalms 119, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And often the Lord will call you to do things. And a lamp doesn't give you a whole lot of light, Brian. It's just that next step. And so you, this thing is a walk in faith, man. There's no yeah. doubt it is a walk in faith for us. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's excellent insight. And um, 
Man, and, and it's something I'll tell you too that'll you know probably do your heart well. I was um, speaking at a Republican women's group. I think it was an enterprise. I forgive it if it was of enterprise or if it was of the Wiregrass. I get them all confused. But man, I was down there, and they the way they talk about you down there, they're like our congressman, right? And I don't you don't hear that very much. They usually just refer to you know congressman so and so or whatever. But they were our congressmen, and they they were just so excited to, that you were representing them in Washington D.C. and that they really felt. Uh, that their views, that their beliefs, that their feelings, the things that they were passionate about were actually getting representation. And again, that's a very rare thing these days. So um, again, kudos to you. Yeah, it is It is weird. It's yeah. weird because a lot of the money that plays in politics kind of pulls the strings on how you vote. But for me, it was always about just doing the right thing. And we kind of ran a grassroots campaign, so it was different. We didn't really owe anybody. And honestly, dude, if you, if you followed our race in 2020, You'll know that I had none of the state. I served in the state legislature for eight years for two terms and not a single association in the state backed me because mm. because they knew that I was going to do what the people wanted me to do. And I felt called to run that way. And so if you run who you are, true to who you are, then when you get here, you can do the job. And when the Lord wants to send you home, he'll send you home. But until then, you're in the fight to do the right thing. And that's what we're going to try to do. Gosh, that's awesome. I remember... Uh... <laughs> Got to be careful how you, you you use the language these days. We were at the Capitol during the COVID stuff, and you were running, and you had your truck down there with the big Barry Moore sign. You were the only politician that was down there with us psychopaths at the Capitol marching for medical freedom. So uh, I said, I think I like that guy. Well, yeah, it's all about to me. It is. It's about grassroots and and being a, be it, just don't be afraid to do the right thing. And that, granted, you get attacked, but you just got to know you stand and fight. You fight for what's right, regardless. And then at the end of the day, you can look yourself in the mirror and go, "Hey, man, I did what I could do for this country and for our state." And and I don't want to ever embarrass the people I represent. That's why the ladies down at the Republican Women love us because we we just vote our convictions and what we told them we were going to do. Yep, it's pretty simple, really. Right? It's not. It's not so complicated. It's not that hard a job. You just you if you're true to yourself on the campaign trail and you and then when you get here, you just do what you tell people you're going to do and don't let the outside forces sway you. Then it's not that hard a job. There's a lot of pressure, but we're okay with that. We've been there and been through the fire so without even the smell of smoke. So, you yeah. know, we're going here to, we're here to just do what we tell people we're going to do. Amen. You're you're typically in the news uh, with something uh, pretty often. Some of the things that I've noticed that really stuck out to me um, is dismantling the Department of Education. What is, you know, that obviously, you know, hits people wrong. Um, I it, It's music to my ears. Um, that's a bold thing to say. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what your thoughts are there or where that's coming from? Yeah, I just, if you look at the amount of money that we send to D.C. and uh, and then it's taxpayers, and we all agree, you know, that public education is an okay thing, and we set that up as as citizens of this country so that our kids would have a school to go to and they would have teachers and they'd have instruction and they could learn the basics and we would have you know an opportunity for kids no matter their socioeconomic background to get an education and that's better for the communities right so but what happens is we we send all that money to DC the department of education didn't even exist till Jimmy Carter was president and and he wasn't one of the best ever right so he created this department of education this bureaucracy so we begin to see as we funnel money towards the department of education it came more about a jobs program, really, in some ways, than really about educating kids. And so 
you got this bureaucracy in D.C. that then funnels the money back to the states, to the people who actually sent it originally with all these strings attached. And our kids are not benefiting from that. You, the amount of money we spend, we could actually leave it locally and let our local school boards make decisions and not attach strings. And I think our kids would get a better education. I think the taxpayer would get better benefit for their investment. And that's kind of what we're looking to do. Let's streamline the process because the biggest issue we have in this country, and I know we'll have some, we'll talk about it, but it's just this bureaucracy in D.C. and the the, the the agenda that it, it drives Brian worries me sometimes, but also just the inefficiency in which it operates. Yeah. Well, the border is something um, we're seeing a lot of focus on. I know as soon as Katie Britt was elected, she was down there uh, right away. I think that's something that's kind of part of your platform as well. Uh, any updates on anything that's going on down there? Yeah, you know, it's just a mess. I, if, and I got some numbers for you, Brian. We've had 5 million encounters since Biden was president. We've had 107,000 young people. What's well, the number one killer of young people, age 18, 45, is fentanyl poisoning. So yeah. 107,000 have died. Now, if you put that in perspective, Nixon started his war on drugs when we had 6,400 overdoses 50 years ago. We've had 107,000. Biden hadn't even been to the border. I mean, he might have went down to El Paso. I think they sterilized it before he got there. But the guy has no idea what's going on. They really don't care about the American people. And then 1,000 uh, illegals have died trying to cross the U.S. southern border. And we've lost 20,000 children from other countries that we do not know where they're at. We shipped them on buses with taxpayer money to, to God knows where to do God knows what. And we've lost those children. So people always say, oh, you know, you got to be com a closed border is a compassionate border. So these people are being trafficked. They're becoming sex slaves. They're becoming indentured servants. They're drug mules. And they were losing children by the thousands. And so there are so many things that are wrong about what we're doing on the southern border that uh, we've been working to bring attention to it. And since I've been here, I've been three times. I was down there last week before last in Yuma. And it's just unbelievable. Through that little town of Yuma, Arizona, there's 100,000 people population, Brian. 300,000 people have come through from 106 different nations. And Russians are coming through. Russians are paying about 17,000, 18,000. Syrians are paying 20 to 21,000. Chinese nationals are paying 80,000 to the cartel. And then the everyday just working Hispanic that wants to come up from the Triangle Nations pays the cartel $7,000 to cross through there. So the cartel controls our southern borders. They have operational control. And we have no border as a country that we have control of right now. Wow. And, you know, the border is something that consistently comes up. Obviously, when Trump came on the scene, you know, in 2016, that that was kind of his his premier focus was, you know, controlling the border uh, and, and all that. I mean, is is there a real legitimate solution? Absolutely. I mean, Trump was actually fixing the problem. I, I talked to a, a Sheriff Daniels. We had a hearing here a few weeks ago in judiciary. Sheriff Daniels been four decades working on the U.S. southern border. The best he's ever seen it was when Trump was president. The worst he's ever seen it's right now. So one man who's willing to lead on the issue can make a difference. The remain in Mexico policy that Trump had in place. And what that means to your listeners is when you say remain in Mexico, you say, Barry, what are you talking about? What that means is they apply for asylum in the country they're coming from or either in Mexico. And once they get approved for asylum, then they can't come over to the U.S. and, and we work through the process. When we did away with that remain in Mexico, that means they all come over here to the U.S. They turn themselves in and apply for asylum. And what's going on is they get a motion to appear. It's an MTA. And so that guarantees them taxpayer subsidies, or at least they qualify. So up to 800 a month for illegals. They're drawing a check on the American taxpayer and we give them a cell phone. And so we give them a cell phone so we can track them. But 95% of them don't show up for court. So I tell everybody they take our phones, but they don't take our phone calls when it's time for court. And so we, we have just a it's just a terrible, terrible situation on the southern border that Trump fixed. He had had it going in the right direction. Biden's undone that just because he despises Trump and is hurting our country. Mm. 
Well, hopefully, um, we're able to, to, to get that under control. And, and it is, it's, there's so many bad things in the beginning. I know a lot of border talk had to do with, you know, jobs and economics and now it's fentanyl and deaths and sex trafficking and people dying, trying to get over the border. It's, I mean, it's a really serious deal. So appreciate your efforts there. Um, we're going to go to a, a quick commercial break, uh, and we will be back with more from Congressman Barry Moore. Hey y'all, it's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in DC and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the Quick Letter app from my phone to write letters and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in DC and in our state a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the U.S. mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com, that's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. Welcome back, guys. Thanks so much for sticking around for the commercial. And before we jump back into the content, I have to just encourage you guys, you know, our sponsor, Jim Hicks at Quick Letter, amazing app that he's created that allows you guys to download it on your phone, type out a letter, and then send that letter to your representative uh, just very, very easily. It's it's extremely convenient uh, and it's very effective. Um, you can write Congressman Barry Moore if you'd like, and you can send him a letter uh, and he'll read it and, and he'll respond. So, I encourage you guys to do that. Make your voices heard. We're coming into a legislative session. There's all kinds of stuff going on from school choice to medical freedom to abortion stuff. Tons of stuff going on in the state right now, and your representatives need to hear your voice. Go to Quick Letter uh, on the App Store. Download the Quick Letter app. That's K-W-I-K, Quick Letter app, uh, and start writing your representatives today. All right, Congressman, let's um, let's talk about the judiciary. Um, you know, there was a the with what Matt Gates and those guys did. I think Matt Gates is going to go down, uh, you know, as a hero in some degree. People are going to look back and and he took so much heat. But it's obvious now looking back on it, there was a strategy. They executed the strategy. They did politics the way that politics is supposed to be done. They negotiated. They represented their people. And we got people where they needed to be as far as what committees they're in and, and who's heading up what committee. And we actually look like a Republican Party that we can be proud of now. And it was it was because of what those guys did, um, you know, and and I could tell and again, maybe you want to speak to this. You were kind of on the fence because I think your heart was definitely with those guys. But my gut is that you had things that you needed to get done and you had to kind of stay put where you were. But is that accurate? No, that's that's yeah, that's that's very accurate, Brian. What what? Uh, a couple of things I think that behind the scenes, you remember in conference there were 31 no votes for McCarthy. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of guys in there who voted no. And honestly, um, that started probably, I would say, a few weeks, maybe a good, the end of the previous year before this year's speaker vote. And so the speaker's vote was on January 3rd. By the time we got to January 3rd, we pretty well had a great set of rules. The only thing that was left was that motion to vacate the chair. They were trying to get it from five to one. And so... 
Um, but it, but I think that because, and I told Kevin McCarthy this, you know, 60% of Congress, the Republican conference is new since Trump was elected in 16. So I'm one of those guys. It's not a rubber stamp anymore in DC for yeah. you, no matter if you're a Republican, it's actually, we're here to represent the voice of the people, the Vox Populi. And so what happens is when you got that, a bunch of different free liberal, I mean, independent thinkers who have ideas, you just can't hurt them like cats. You've got to negotiate with them. You got to get them to the table. So so yeah, it was it was a fascinating vote, and, and again, we set the, I think we set uh, a record at least in the last hundred years yeah. the number of speaker votes, and it was interesting because I was on the road with Matt Gates and I had Lauren there, and they were holding out. But uh, man, it, it was it was interesting to be in the room and to watch that process, and like you said, for us to negotiate, and I think it's the best set of rules. And honestly, people may not know this, but Kevin McCarthy is going to end up being a fantastic speaker. Because now he can look at Schumer and say, that's not in the rules. You know, you can't just lump a bunch of stuff in. If it's not germane, we're not going to pass it. So yeah. it actually is going to end up making Kevin McCarthy a great speaker, I believe. Those rules are going to be fantastic. Yeah. And that's the way the process is supposed to work. And it just, it was so frustrating to me, um, you know, watching how, you know, the amount of heat that, that Matt Gates and those guys were taking and how everyone was criticizing him. It's like, look, man, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do to get things done for the people. And so... We're, you know, we're excited. I'm excited uh, that it went the way it did. Um, you're now on the Judiciary Committee. Um, talk about some of the things you have going on there. I guess my first question is this. Do these congressional hearings and Judiciary Committees, do they ever get anything that resembles justice? Or is it just, does it, does it always seem to pan out to be just like photo op type stuff where, you know, like Ted Cruz takes off his boot and to the FBI guy is like, Molan Labe, you see that on my boot? Am I a terrorist? You know, it's great for TV. It's great entertainment, and I love it, you know, but but what what can actually be done, and what are some of the things that you guys are focusing on? Yeah, you know, sometimes it is made for television, but, Brian, I think with Jim Jordan as chairman, it's a little different this time with judiciary. Certainly when we were in the minority, we could ask the hard-hitting questions, and then that was all fine and good, but we knew that Nadler and Schiff and all those guys, they were never going to do anything about anything. They brought in their witnesses, and there was very little opportunity, but the one thing that's unique is over the last few months, we've had whistleblowers from within the FBI coming to judiciary and testifying, and as they want to go public, we're going to make that public. And so the subpoenas that we'll be issuing as well. So, and, and sometimes up here, the pressure we can apply, like on the border right now, we're starting to get some media attention. I think that you'll start seeing some movement there, but also just oversight. We have an opportunity with, with Fauci and the FBI sending money to Twitter. That's investigations that we have to open and we had to figure out what was going on. And so we have an opportunity to subpoena records, bring in whistleblowers. So, uh, I don't think Jim Jordan's going to rest on any kind of laurels from from his days back when we were in the minority party. He truly wants to be a great chairman and bring attention to the issues. And we're going to issue the subpoenas and we're going to do what we got to do. And we can actually issue some uh, some uh, hard hitting stuff to the members that, that come in, the people that come in that that uh, have done some things. We have some opportunities to, 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 to use legal action, I think, to go after. What uh, what are some of the things, if you're allowed to talk about it, what are some of the things that you guys are going to be focused on in the coming months on the judiciary? Yeah, so the FBI, weaponization of the FBI, and how, like, that's, you know, the, one of the things, Jim knew my Twitter was taken down a few days after Trump's was taken down, and so he's like, man, you got a story to tell. We would love to get you on the committee that and having been having having the DOJ in Alabama weaponized against me because I was a conservative and had to go to trial. Those things kind of gave me a story and gave me an opportunity that I think Jim, because I told Jim, I'm man, I'm a garbage man. I'm not an attorney. He said, yeah. well, Grassley's a farmer and the Senate does a good job. He said, I think you'll be a, a heck of a teammate. So, so there are some things we're going to focus on, but yeah, Fauci, what he knew and when he knew it, 
Um, the Hunter Biden laptop story, I think we have to continue mm. to look into that. FBI, the weaponization of the FBI, the failure to secure the southern border. There's there's quite a few things that I think we have an opportunity to bring attention to. And we've started with the border. We've had two hearings on the border, one in Arizona last week, and then we had one here the week before. And so we're bringing attention to those things. And the media is having to cover it, whether they want to or not. Brian, we're showing the failure on the face. And, and of course, like I said, with as these, these witnesses come in from the FBI, the whistleblowers, then we can get to the bottom of how they were paying Twitter money, why they were taking it down conservatives, what algorithms were they using, and then Fauci, what he knew and when he knew it. So we got our work cut out for us. Bro. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> as we're down in Montgomery investigating corruption, I say it's a target-rich environment. And uh, yes, you, yes. you being on the judiciary right now, it's a it's a target-rich environment. <laughs> so it's an yeah, interesting— Yeah, Newt Gingrich actually, Newt came and spoke to our group a few weeks Right before we had our first hearing, he said he thinks it's going to be the most consequential committee in Congress in this year. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our our normal uh, podcast uh, today. Thank you, Congressman, for joining us. And then we are about to hit a behind the scenes where we're going to talk a little bit about January 6th videos that are being released and some COVID Dr. Fauci nonsense uh, and what the congressman thinks about that. But uh, in order to do that, you got to jump on and become a a paying member of 1819 News, and, and you'll have access to that. But for the rest of you guys, as always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.